Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. Evan Roberts, we talk Mets baseball. They went two out of three against the Miami Marlins. I do have a crappy taste in my mouth because of the way Sunday's game went. A game in which they had a million different opportunities to blow this game open. Daniel Castaño is basically saying to the Mets, look, take this freaking baseball game. And they were unable to take it. So I'm not going to sit here and bitch about Adam Adovino. Do I trust Adam Adovino? No. Does any of us trust Adam Adovino? No. Do we want Adam Adovino throwing any big pitch come October or late September? Absolutely not. But they really didn't lose this game because of Adam Adovino. They didn't lose this game because of pitching. They lost this game because they couldn't hit. Now, overall, this was a good series bounce back after what happened against the Astros. Obviously, you play a three-game series against the Marlins. You want to win the series. But this last game was so freaking winnable. You know, when Brandon Nimmo, who's just smoking the baseball right out of the gate, hits that bomb of a home run in the third inning, and Starling Marte rips a double, and then, and I guess this is the funniest part about this game, the hit or the biggest hit, really the only time they came through with a clutch hit in the finale of this series was the weakest hit ball you'll ever see. Pete Alonso hitting that little blooper that barely fell out of the grasp of Jesus Aguilar for a little bloop double. Outside of that, the Mets could not buy a freaking big hit in this finale against the Marlins. So it's a series win. I'm happy it's a series win. I'm very happy about the way David Peterson threw the baseball, especially because with the uncertainty about when Max Scherzer is going to come back, though it's probably going to be one more rehab start. Carrasco is going to make his next start, but there's certainly uncertainty about him with the back issues. Who knows when Jake's going to pitch again. They're going to need David Peterson to throw a hell of a few more games. Like, he's not just going back into the bullpen or heading back to AAA. David Peterson's going to have to start, and he gave you a real quality effort. Maybe one of the better performances we've seen from David Peterson in a long time. But this came down, and it started right out of the gate. Right out of the gate in this finale. Brandon Nimmo leadoff double should have had a triple. Hoffman was very happy he didn't have a triple because Brandon Nimmo's on my fantasy team, and we were tied in triples. So I'm screaming, Brandon, get your ass to third base. He did not. But as pointed out on the Peacock broadcast, it's because Brandon Nimmo hit the ball so freaking hard. But he leads off with a double great. Marte has that quality at bat. You got two on, nobody out. And right off jump, you got a chance 
to pound Daniel Castaño and get to the Marlin bullpen again. Because as we'll talk about from game two, the Marlins use so much of their bullpen in game two of this series. So if you can not only put a couple of runs up against Castaño out of the gate, not only do you give David Peterson an early lead, not only do you have a good chance to win this game, you got a chance to knock this guy out second, third inning and have to go back to the Miami bullpen. I mean, how many times can they use Jimmy Yacobonis? They can't use Jimmy Yacobonis all the time. So first and second, nobody out. And I have to admit, this is the ultimate second guess, but I really thought this at the time. Last year, I would bitch whenever Francisco Lindor would lay down a bunt. And I remember there was a moment last year, I think it was right after the thumbs down stuff, where Lindor laid down a first inning bunt. And to me, it reeked of a guy that couldn't handle New York. And I think that was the moment where last year, I was as angry with Lindor as I had been at any point in the season. That that felt like a... I'm scared of New York kind of moment when he laid down that bunt. It was sometime in August. It was it was right around the thumbs down situation. And Alomar, Robbie Alomar, used to take a lot of crap from Met fans because he would lay down these random bunts. And we'd look at him and say, you're Robbie Alomar. You're a Hall of Famer. Why are you laying down a bunt? First and second, nobody out first inning. There was a part of me that wanted Lindor to lay down a bunt. And I know that's stupid because... Base open, they could walk Alonzo, they could go to Marcana, I get all that. But there was a part of me, and I admit it was idiotic, that said, come on, Francisco, just lay down a bunt. Move these guys along. But nobody can move them along. He pops up, Alonzo pops up, Canna strikes out, and that really was a microcosm of the entire game. Second inning, leadoff double, J.D. Davis missed a hard hit rate. More on that in a little bit. And they do nothing with the bottom of the order. And even in that third inning when Nimmo hits the home run and Marte rips the double and they get lucky on the Pete Alonso double, okay, great. Two-to-one game, runner on second, one out, tack on. Score some more runs. Canada does nothing. J.D. Davis does nothing. And after that, I give Castaño credit. Dude settled in and pitched a hell of a game. But then in the ninth inning, even after David Peterson throws this really good performance, even after they get a scoreless inning out of Tommy Hunter, you get a leadoff walk. You get great base running by J.D. We're on the quote-unquote dirt ball read. I hate that term, but I guess it's accurate. The dirt ball, ball read. He ends up on second base. And Escobar does nothing. He continues to suck. What else is no? I can continue to say the same things about this guy. Guy sucks. He's just not any good. I like him. He's a good guy. His defense has gotten better at third base. I want to be patient, but my guy, he stinks. Guillermo didn't do anything offensively, but I forgive him, especially because he made that ridiculous defensive play in the ninth inning. And then here's James McCann, and this one really annoyed me because McCann's back off the injured list. He comes back Saturday. I know he had a single late in the game, but overall, very quiet offensive performance by James McCann. He hits the ball hard two times in a row. Hits a line drive right at birdie, I think in the fourth or fifth inning. It's a fly out in the seventh and again, right on the screws. So it looks like McCann's close. And here he is, runner on third, two outs, tie game. Can you come through with a big hit? And he strikes out, I think, on a slider in the dirt, if memory serves correct, against the immortal Tanner Scott, you know, who's, of course, you know, freaking Sandy Colfax. I know it's only two games back for James McCann, but Jesus Christ, they get no offense from catcher. They don't. And you know what that means? You know what I'm thinking, Hoff. Hoff's thinking the same freaking thing. I've seen two games of James McCann. 
We appreciate Tomas Nito for his effort, but you've got a kid in double A destroying baseballs. Max Scherzer says this kid is ready. I've read his defense has improved. Have we moved closer to the day where we could just call up Francisco Alvarez off? Are we there yet? Uh, If Max Scherzer gives the approval, I think that's a definite yes. We're here. We're at the moment. Like, how much more awful offense behind the plate? Like, Nitto I don't like to pick on because he is what he is. Tomas Nitto is a perfect backup catcher. Really good defensively. He actually comes through with big hits every once in a while. He is Ramon Castro. He is, well, he's better than, different than Ramon Castro. That's not a good comparison, but you know what I mean. He's a real solid backup catcher. James McCann's the guy making a lot of money, and he sucks. He sucks offensively. So if you call up Alvarez tomorrow, Pete, and you say to him, we're going to catch you a few days a week. We're going to see how you how your chemistry works with Max, how your chemistry works with Carrasco, how your chemistry works with David Peterson. We're going to see if the uh, pitch framing is as good as what I read the other day. I read the other day his pitch framing is 10 times better. I read the other day that pitchers love throwing to him. So if that's the case, if he's actually a asset behind the plate, call him up, let him catch a few days a week, let him DH the other days, and let's see if we got a masher with Francisco Alvarez. I mean, let's, let's be serious uh, his bat is anything better than Dom Smith or anybody else, any other DH that we've seen so far. You might as well at least give him that aspect of it. Even if you, again, like you said, one catching appearance a week is fine, but the bat is legit. If you, you know? can hit, if you can mash, we will find a way and we will find a place for you to play. And I admit that you and I have no idea if defensively he's ready. The only thing I can rely on is what I'm reading about what they're saying about him at double A or what players are saying about him. But it only took two days of James McCann. That's it. Eight at-bats of James McCann for me to say, all right, all right, I'm done. Let's let's call the kid up. <laughs> let's see what Francisco well, Alvarez has. And listen, here's the deal, right? If you have Francisco Alvarez, you give him, say, a month before the trade deadline, right? See what we actually have in him. So then maybe you don't need to go and get two bats. Maybe you get one and then you bring in another pitcher. I agree, dude. I I think that what's so appealing about Alvarez, and I've gone back and forth because you've got two kids in AAA or in the minors, Vientos at AAA, Alvarez at AA, where you could take either guy, call either guy up, especially the way Vientos has performed over the last two months, and say, I'm going to give this guy four weeks, and I'm going to give him a chance to hit. What's appealing about Alvarez, and I know you could say the same about Vientos because Escobar is an issue at third base, but there's a part of me, as much as I kill Escobar, where I say, I know he has it in him. I know that there's a chance that Eduardo Escobar can get hot and look like the guy we expected when the Mets had initially signed him. I think the reality is the reality with James McCann. The guy had really one good offensive season, and... This is who he is. He's a light-hitting catcher who's not as good defensively as Tomas Nito. I know his pitch-framing stats are actually better than Tomas Nito, but I use this test. I'm pointing to my eye right now. I'm using the eye test. I watch every Met game. I think most people listening to Rico right now, you watch every freaking Met game. Maybe your opinion's different than mine, but I view Tomas Nito as a stronger defensive catcher. And here's the difference with Nito and McCann. Because if I'm choosing between the two, it's Nito. Tomas Nito will accidentally run into a big hit. He's had a few of them this year. Like, if you go 
Ninth inning of this Sunday game against the Marlins. Runner on third, two outs. Tomas Nino may come through. There was no chance James McCann was coming through, even though he hit the last two balls hard. But Alvarez comes up here, and you're right. You give him a chance to hit and maybe be the DH, because as much as J.D. Davis's hard hit rate is as good as anybody in baseball, you did need to see results eventually. And J.D. Davis swings through fastballs more than any human being in, on the planet. So hard hit rate my ass. How many times does J.D. Davis swing through a 95-mile-an-hour fastball? Show me those numbers. But Alvarez at least gives you an option either behind the plate or as DH. I hate to go on a tirade about it, but every time I see Alvarez put up a three for five in double A, I'm looking at this saying, call him up. Because the, the other thing is, and, and there's some big examples of it. There are some minor examples of it. When you call up a super prospect in the middle of a season, sometimes incredible stories are written. Miguel Cabrera is probably the best example of all time with this as a 20-year-old kid called up the impact he had for the Marlins when they won the World Series in 2003. And what's beautiful, and I know we mentioned this before, he wouldn't come up as a savior because the Mets are still, you know, despite what happened in the finale of the series, they're scoring five runs a game. Like offensively, they're in the top three in Major League Baseball in runs per game. So their offense isn't a hindrance, even though there are spots in their lineup that are. So he wouldn't have to come up here as the end-all, be-all. But every time we're going to watch James McCann, every time we're going to watch Eduardo Escobar, because it is sort of connected, there is that frustration of, all right, let's see what the kids got. Either way, the finale of this series sucked. They had a million opportunities. They were one for 13 with runners in scoring position. But the overall positive was David Peterson. Real quick on that ninth inning, we'll get to some of the other games in this series. The plan for Jacob DeGrom, the plan for Max Scherzer, as well as how important Jeff McNeil is and how obvious that's been over the next few days. We'll also get to some of your uh, questions and comments uh, via Twitter here on the Rico Bronio. One last thing about the finale of this series. Adam Adovino comes into this game in the ninth inning. It's 2-2. We just mentioned what happened in the top of the inning. James McCann strikes out. For those who watched the game, it was on Peacock. And you have to have a subscription for Peacock. I have a subscription for Peacock because I'm a wrestling fan. (laughs) And I have the WWE Network. Otherwise, I'm not sure I'd have Peacock. But I was watching the cock. I thought the cock had pretty good coverage today. I like Cliff Floyd. What's his name? Um, The Seaver Killer. Tommy Hutton. Tommy Hutton has driven me nuts for years. He was such a homer when he used to do the Brave games. He used to do the Brave games, right? I'm thinking of the same guy. Uh, And the other guy's pretty good. The play-by-play guy's pretty good. Cliff was all right. For the most part, I could live with Tommy Hutton. I thought the broadcast was all right for anyone who watched it. But we get to the ninth inning. And this one cracked me up because I'm watching this game with my dad. We're visiting uh, my parents. And I'm watching this game live on a Sunday afternoon. And Garrett Cooper gives the first pitch a effing ride to deep right field. Off the bat, I'm like, oh, that's it. My dad's like, no, 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 he's got it, he's got it. Makes the catch. I say to my dad, I don't like this. First pitch in the ninth inning, rips it to right field. We're going to lose this game here in the bottom of the ninth inning. Next batter is Jesus Aguilar. Hits this screaming line drive. And Luis Guillerme, Superman, he flies through the air, makes this incredible diving play. I'm pumped up because even though the Guillerme's bats cooled off at least over the last few days. Uh, by the way, Buck had him hitting 50 the other day. What was that about? I love Louis, but I see that lineup. I'm like, Luis Guillerme's hitting fifth? 
Luis had a rough series offensively. Still love the guy. Rough, rough series offensively. But he makes this diving Superman catch. And I looked at my dad again, and I said, there's no way out of Eno's getting through this inning. First ball hits the warning track. Second ball, Guillerme needs to be Superman. Like, what are we talking about here? And then Nick Fortes hits just an absolute effing bomb. And after he hits this home run, and I quickly get up and I shut my scorebook, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm kind of glad it happened because would we really want to sit there for another hour and a half of the Mets not being able to come through in a big spot, wasting a beautiful hot Sunday afternoon watching this garbage on Peacock, put me out of my misery. Now, I rationalize that. I'm not thinking that necessarily in the moment. It's like when the Nets lost game four to the Celtics and got swept. I think the next day to Craig, I said, I'm just so glad they put me out of my misery. I wasn't thinking that during the game. I'm trying to win the game. I'm trying to hope my team wins the game. But when Fortes hit that bomb, there was a, all right, Good. Let's get the hell out of here. Three-hour baseball game. It started at 12 noon. We won the series. Let's move on. And that's the truth. Look, they won the series. And ultimately, after losing those two games to Houston, that's what I needed. That's what we needed as Met fans. And even throughout this series, I certainly felt this way in the finale of this series. I mentioned this last week during the Houston series. You really felt not having Jeff McNeil in this lineup because – At the present time, until they make a trade or until Alvarez comes up like we talked about earlier, Jeff McNeil offers Pete Alonso the best protection you can find. Mark Hanna, not that guy. Luis Guillerme, not that guy. It's Jeff McNeil. And when you look at Sunday's game, if Jeff McNeil plays, I think they win. I think it's as simple as that because he's been so clutch He's hitting over 400 with two outs and runners in scoring position. And I do wonder, I don't mind that the Mets are being conservative with Jeff McNeil's hamstring issue because the last thing you want to have happen is he goes back out there and he re-injures it. And it's worse, and now you're without him for six to eight weeks. But when you miss five consecutive games, and that's where Jeff is at, the Mets have an off day on Monday, they play Tuesday, and I think logically he'll be in the lineup Tuesday. But when you miss five consecutive games, and you don't pinch it in any of them. Even if Buck says he was available, who knows if he was available? Don't you start to say, why the hell wasn't the guy put on IL? You know, there's a cutoff, and I think five's the number, where you say, why is the guy on the roster? And maybe there's a feeling that without the pitcher hitting, you can hide a guy on the bench. Because look at a guy like Nick Plummer, who's still on the roster. You've almost forgotten Nick Plummer's on the roster because you never see him. You don't need that many pinch hitters. Ideally, you'd pinch it for the catcher. I get that. But maybe that's the thought that teams have now of, well, we don't need as many pinch hitters because of the pitcher not hitting. So we'll just keep a guy on the roster not playing for five days because when he comes back for game number six, we saved ourselves four days. But you go back to the opener of this series. It was a really solid performance by Taiwan Walker because Ty did something on Friday we've seen a lot of this year. We saw it in the Angel game a couple of weeks ago. In the first two innings, he looks cooked. In the first two innings, it looks like you're going to see a bad Taiwan Walker performance. I mean, you look at Friday night's game, first four Marlins had base hits against him. He's lucky because he got a pickoff and a double play. Gets into trouble in the second inning, somehow gets through it, and then gives you a quality performance where you've got Buck letting him start the seventh inning. I mean, think about this weekend. The Mets had three consecutive games 
in which they had a starting pitcher pitch into the seventh inning. That was incredible. 